0: do another episode of the preferred walk-ons podcast. I'm Michael McGraw with Michael Shutt, as always and today we are joined once again by Chris Wright, manager, editor, owner. What is that? What is your actual title of the Sabre? What do you call yourself?
1: Czar? Um, any of the above. <laughs> I <don't know. laughs> okay. I think I signed my emails editor. Editor?
0: Grand, grand Poobah. <laughs> Well, we're here with Chris, and so we want to talk a lot today about UVA sports in particular and some good news since our last podcast on the UVA basketball front. Tony Bennett decided to actually recruit some players out of the transfer portal. It seemed like, uh, based on what I was reading online, that he had kind of given up on that and that they were just going to roll out with a group of like five or six players. But it turns out he still was able to recruit some players. So I always get a kick out of this because...
1: And maybe I put too much faith in Tony, but I am definitely on the side of the ledger that's fine with whatever happens because I like watching how they play. But I thought a long time ago he could probably win with three good players, a broomstick, and (laughs) something else. He'd probably still win a few games, so I just don't ever worry about it. It's going to shuffle itself out. And then in this portal age, I know everyone's like, oh, God. the the biggest fear is Tony's gonna quit he can't stand this he's a competitive dude when he's ready to get out he'll get out but it's not gonna be something that just automatically triggers it I think where it's like I'm done with this portal crap is awful I quit it's gonna be I don't like competing anymore (laughs) it'll be that more so I wasn't worried about that either but the, the pickups were good ones they filled positions of need and I think you know they're still hosting folks and then you could have a late you know high school ad just depending on what happens so yeah, it'll be interesting to see where it all, all leads, but I do like the two guys they got.
0: So, Miner and Roadie, one from Mary Mack, one from St. Thomas in Minnesota. What do you see from them? How do they fit into the roster construction for this year? So, some fans automatically freak out when it's from
1: lower conferences that you pick up from, but that's so normal now, guys moving up after good years at lower conferences, that that doesn't worry me too much. I, full disclosure, I had no idea where St. Thomas was <laughs> until Andrew Rohde came on the radar. And they are a program, very much like Merrimack, that is moving up to Division One. so they're in their probationary period. So it's interesting that both of the guys they got are from schools that are you know, on the rise in terms of joining Division One, but aren't there yet. So that could give some people pause, but if I look at minor... Merrimack Conference Defensive Player of the Year. So he's willing to play defense. That's important if you're coming to Virginia. Even if you're not going to be 100% great at it, particularly as a one-year guy, at least you're willing to. And I think that means he'll pick it up at least somewhat. I like a lot of what I saw in his film, just in terms of how he might fit. And we can get a little deeper into that. But I do think things they do at Merrimack translate to things that Virginia do. And then you look at Andrew Rohdey. He's a guy that's just growing rapidly from what I've read,
0: right? Like literally growing rapidly. Right. Yeah. Early like every high time school, every time I see uh, his height, it's different. He's grown an inch based on, it was like six four. He's about to be bull bull soon. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, so he went from like six two or something like that early in high school to six
1: four as a high school senior to six six at Saint Thomas. So, you know, how much is that his roster inflation, right? Like is he actually six six or is he six five or is he six four and a half or whatever? Right. right. But he looks tall. On film, so you know, I think his rapid growth is what's leading to his ability to suddenly be recruited by
0: really good programs, great in Virginia and others that were interested in him. He looks like the, the video I've seen of him. What comes across as exciting to me is his passing ability. He looks like a really elite passer. His overall numbers for the year in his freshman year don't look like he's an elite shooter, but the end of the season, it definitely is better than earlier in the season, particularly from shooting three-point range. But I, I'm most excited about his passing. It seems like he's able to find people, has really good court vision. Like, how, how would you see him fitting in in particular, particularly if Reese Beekman comes back? But even if he doesn't, how does he fit in handling the ball? His splits are interesting in terms of shooting. You're right. If you divide it directly in half,
1: right in the midpoint of the season, every number went up. Two-point shooting, three-point shooting, free-throw shooting. All percentages went up in the second half of the season. And particularly in the last 10, the three-point shooting went way, way up. So I think he can shoot. It's just a matter of can he do it consistently for a whole season. That was the same question with Armand Franklin. So there's going to be some wait and see and see how that goes. His passing is outstanding. You know, he seems and maybe it's because of the growth. He seems to be a guy who was smaller earlier in life. So he gets to a spot and he's able to throw passes outside his frame or outside the normal spot, right? And now he's six six. So he's throwing that outside his frame pass. I know a lot of Virginia fans see some Ty Jerome in him. I think the an athletic article mentioned that. And some of his passing looks like that. Some I don't know what to call it, off, off schedule passes almost. Like yeah. it's not coming from your shoulder height, it it might be waist height outside his you know, outside uh two feet away from his body, so he has a lot of creative passing, a lot of creative finishing. The way that fits at Virginia, right, is okay, everybody gets chances to initiate the offense sometimes. And yes there's a pure point guard or a designated point guard. But the way they run things after one pass, it might be somebody else initiating yeah. the scoring action. So he's gonna get chances to play out of handoffs out of pin-downs, out of ball screens, and then make reads and see if that passing and, and ability to score comes into play. But I like a lot of what I see with his film, and I think the upside is really high. And three years of eligibility. So if you're going to deal with this portal thing, I think that's the best way to go for Virginia if you can. Get a guy that has two or three years. Um, because in general, it feels like
0: it takes guys a little while to settle in. I've seen that that last point is interesting, especially given Minor and his background, like not as much eligibility left. Maybe a little bit undersized for a big, but still seems like somebody who's a pretty good, pure scorer. He reminds me a little bit of Jaden Gardner, but maybe not quite as smooth in the mid-range. I don't know if the, he just like slots in perfectly to that role, or is there something different about him? Right, when I watch the highlights with Minor,
1: I don't see the same jumper that Jaden Gardner had, but some of the moves toward the basket, you know, inside pivot, jump stop and bump you, that sort of thing. Honestly, he was able to get to the rim and dunk it through contact more than Jaden seemed to be able to do. Like, Jaden could dunk, but he needed the space to do it. There were at least a few highlights where Minor would bump through somebody and dunk it, and that's not something Jaden could do. So they feel like there's a little bit different whatever game there. The Merrimack system is very similar to old old line Michigan two-guard two motion sort of things where they'll... You know, they'll pass in to something that immediately spins into something else and then minor would set a screen. So if you think about Virginia with their three man motion, with their sides motion, with their open floor motion, those are the three main things they run. All of those do that where a big might, you know, set a pin down and then spin into setting a different screen and then play out of that. He does all of those things on film. So um, I could very easily see him being a screener and pass receiver for Virginia. That's very effective.
0: So what does the, the roster still need? I, I see several questions online. We and we asked the board on the saber to post some questions. We got one from GNA two R who was asking even with Rhodey on the roster, you know, do we still need more shooting? Do we still need a big man that can you know guard at the rim? It seems like the answer to Isn't both. Isn't the movies. answer to, to do you need more shooting always, yes? Like can yes. you ever have enough? Well, right now I mean, his his point was it seems like we only have two proven shooters on the roster. I don't know if that's quite right, but it definitely seemed like that was a huge problem for UVA last year where it seemed that no one could shoot other than McNeely a little bit.
1: Right. I think Virginia's three-point percentage and three-point volume both have been too low the last two years for the way that kind of would be the ideal way for Virginia to play. They don't need to be Villanova- it's championship teams where they're shooting 49% of their shots from three-point range. I think that might be too high for how Virginia wants to play. I think the 40, 40% of your shots as threes is kind of the sweet spot. They've been lower than that. They've been down around 37% last year, I think, and down maybe to 34%. So, yes, they need more shooting. <laughs> the, the, the reason they didn't take those shots is because they didn't have more enough uh, comfortable shooters on the roster in terms of guys that were comfortable taking threes. Obviously, Beatman, Clark. Those guys, their percentages went up from two years ago to last season, but they still didn't shoot them at any sort of consistent volume because of, I assume, their own faith in in the ability to make those shots, or we can get a better one on this possession, that sort of thing. You know, I'm really not sure how much more shooting do you need front court shooting. I think you're right. You can always use more shooting, no matter who it is. Mm -hmm. I'm curious about Dunn. I think he shows a decent stroke. He just was playing a role that didn't want him to shoot threes this year so he didn't <laughs> um and I think that's normal as a freshman I think when I watch him shoot I see the ability there depending on how much work he puts in on it you know he's not gonna hit Trey Murphy level I don't think I mean he doesn't look that natural of a shooter whereas right. Trey Murphy the first time you saw him shoot you went oh that guy can shoot um I don't think it'll reach that level but I think it can be competent Leon Bond is interesting to me because that's all he's done <laughs> um and I'm overstating all but this red shirt you're was a lot about that How many shots can he take And smooth out his jumper So what does it look like Once it's in a real game I don't think you can expect him To walk in and light it up But can he be competent um, Tane Murray has been up and down If he gets consistent you know, So there's The guys on the roster You definitely have question marks about So Yeah If they could find another shooter I'm sure they would take it
2: What's the I, I just don't know this What's the scholarship situation right now Like how How many spots do they have I think if they've given eight And they have five open okay, That's right
0: but I'm counting Beatman as gone in that math. So let me ask you about that. So I, I, I get kind of conflicting feelings from people. Some people seem to think he is gone and it's just... Yeah, I'm in that, that category. Okay, yeah. why, why is that? What <laughs> leads you to believe that? I'm a little bit more uh, optimistic about it, but... So to me, it's... What, so, so why would you come back? That, that's just
1: kind of where I'd start from. So the answer to that would be, show you can be a better score, a more consistent score, more consistent higher volume three-point shooter. Can you add any pull-up game? Everything else Reese Beekman has, defense, passing, playmaking, um, things like that, all fit someone who's ready to leave already. So we're just talking about his, his scoring. To me, I, I look at it as this. I call it a DD and d player. He can defend and he can distribute and he can do it at a high level. That's what's going to keep him in the NBA. If that, if he's going to stay in the NBA, those two skills are what's going to keep him there. It's not going to be a scoring. It would be a nice bonus. But if I'm a GM, I'm looking at this as a cheap upside bet. Here's an elite athlete who already is willing to defend that can run my second unit or be a two-way player and run my second unit when player Z is injured or whatever. I would take that gamble if I'm a GM, and I think that's the feedback he's going to get. I think he's going to get a handful of GMs that say, we're taking you if you're on the board, um, somewhere probably mid to late second round. And most college players now get guaranteed money in the second round. And that starts your clock. So, you know, you by the time you get to your second contract, if he proves what he can prove, he's going to make more money in the long run, I think. Because I don't know that he can play himself all the way up to where Trey Murphy and Ty Jerome were by coming back. Is he going to get to 20 to 25 first round pick if he comes back?
2: Well, I, but I think that is... Roughly where he was projected prior to this season. So there is some thought process that he could be at that level, but it's kind of a question of is there too much damage? To, you know, like to not, I don't want to say damage, but like has his stock fallen too much to repair that, to your point? Like, would coming back, you know, what would he have to do? And, and I mean, I do think like looking at what what's coming, he would probably have more primary ball handler responsibilities, I would think, looking at what's there. I he's mean, been handling the ball. Uh, I mean, a lot. Right, but I mean, like, you lose Kihei, yeah. and the only other like point guard is Dante Harris, who I know you love, but... Right,
1: and, and Rody can sort played. of do it. Yeah. So, listen, if he comes back, he clearly has a, a, a massive role. He'll play 30-some minutes. He'll get a chance to show certain things. I just don't... I just don't see it. Like, yeah, I, I think right. risk-reward and how I would weigh it out if I were him, and I think the feedback that he's going to get from the NBA particularly if he runs this all the way out to May 31st because he got that long to think about it if he goes through the combine and you know whatever that is G League Elite where he'll test test super well at the combine like yeah all that stuff's going to be a positive I think it's going to move him up boards I think when he gets interviewed he's going to go up boards so all of that is why I think but then you throw in this all the guys he came in with pretty much gone unproven roster around you makes the risk reward different Right in terms of climbing the draft board and then the one I always keep in the back of my mind is his brother passed away before he had an opportunity to chase pro football Mm -hmm. dreams he may just be ready to chase it and I haven't talked to Reese about that, I haven't asked him that, that's just a gut instinct from me how I think I would feel in that scenario is I just pulled my hamstring this past year, my boys are gone my brother, you know, everything that happened I'm just going to do this and I'm going to go put everything I have into it Um, and I don't Listen, I, Virginia fans aren't going to love this probably, but you're, you have more time to develop as a
0: scorer to add what he needs to add, quote unquote, um, as a professional. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. just do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I can see all that. I, I think that's all logical. But I, uh, t- to your point, shut. It seemed like at the very beginning of the year, he came out. The Vegas tournament was explosive, and suddenly everyone was like. Could this guy maybe even make it into the lottery? Like, mm-hmm. just, you know, that was some of the buzz. I, I thought he would. I mean,
1: yeah. And We're then my on draft pro-
0: prognosticators. Yeah, types. right. So, and, and of course, that stuff is early and it's tough to know, but that was like the, the hype that was buzzing. Then he gets hurt and he never really recovers to a point all season where his shot looked comfortable or, you know, he's inconsistent, averaged just over nine points uh, a game for the season. So, I don't know, I, for, for something in me, I just feel like he, by coming back, and I to, you see this a little bit more in the NBA now where players don't feel like being 21 years old is now the end of the world to be that age. Right. right? So I feel like there's at least a decent chance that he will see the roster, the talent they've brought in, and think, I can improve upon that. I can get up to 12 to 14 points a game, improve my shooting, And go back into the first round, get more money, but I don't know. That's just me projecting.
1: So, I come at this from two ways. Those same scouts that saw him in December, or excuse me, in November in Vegas, like just because he got injured, none of that stuff changed on the scouting report for NBA scouts. Everyone knew he had a hamstring injury. It's not like he suddenly fell off a cliff and it was like, oh, what's happened to this guy? It's like he's playing on a a half a leg. Um, So that's part one. The other is like the upside there like GMs who like you, I think they've seen what they've need to see. Yeah. Based on what I kind of heard and read and all that kind of stuff is and I, I know what the draft mock drafts say. The mock drafts don't say that. NBA scouts what I'm hearing are saying different. That this guy is going to test well, he's going to interview well. He was already flirting with with borderline first round grade. I just think it's a high upside pick and he's going to get guaranteed he's going to get picked. Never a guarantee, I understand that. I just think he's going to be drafted. and So I think everyone that that's coming at it from a, well, it's 50-50 because he's not on any draft boards, I just, I'm just not buying that part of it. I think he is on draft boards. He's just not on mock draft boards.
2: Right, he does feel like the kind of guy that is the surprise in the late first round where people are... Yeah, your prognosticators, your pundits don't have them there because he's not the buzzy name or whatever, but the real people who know. That's what I always feel like happens during – it happens in the NFL draft too, right? Somebody gets picked high, and the guys on TV are like, oh, my God, like this seems a little high. Like we had no – and all the scouts are saying, yeah, we've, we've known we were going to do this since Christmas. Like we saw – we know this kid can play. He does feel like that kind of person. I, I still love him as an NBA prospect. We've talked about how much I think he'll thrive with NBA space. Yeah, I mean, I think if I'm looking at this from a Reese Beekman perspective, just, like, on his end of things um, and on the NBA end of things, I think it makes sense that he would be gone. It makes me worry a little bit for UVA. Just, I, I do think that playmaking, ball handling, like, traditional point guard duties are something that I would worry about for the coming season as if I were a UVA fan. And, and honestly, post-play, like... Oh, they need another post. So that brings us to the big fish in the transfer portal. Is Hunter Dickinson still in play? I don't think so. Right? Not with rumors that
1: Kansas is offering two million dollars in NIL or whatever. Yeah, I saw. I saw somebody that. a couple
0: a couple <laughs> of people have already prognosticated Villanova and he's visiting Kansas and Kentucky still.
2: And I don't think I don't think so. Not even in it anymore. No. Yeah, I think I know. I just know initially when he entered, it was kind of this like, well, the initial recruitment. There was this positive, you know.
1: No, they've. Reportedly, are having some more portal posts visiting over the course of the of the next several weeks, depending on when people are listening to the podcast, right? So, and some of that will depend, I guess, how some of the early visitors that they're hosting while we're recording how that goes, Mm -hmm. right? Because if you look on uh, the Jordan Minor timeline, that happened pretty quickly. You know, he visited and then he visited Florida Gulf Coast and then he was committed. So. Yeah, I do think they need another big. I don't know if it needs to be a traditional center big. That's the big conversation on our message board. And I am very much in the and I said this on the Best Seat in the House recently, on the six eight, six nine, six ten end than mm-hmm. I am on the six ten, six eleven, seven foot, seven one end, unless you just have some a special special somebody in that taller right. range. I just think Virginia plays better with that. Oh, you know, oversized wingspan versus a six nine top of your head. You know, six nine top of your head guy with seven foot one ring, wingspan versus seven foot tall with seven foot wingspan.
0: So we're going to go ahead and pencil Jaron Stevenson in. Then it sounds like it sounds like we'll just go ahead and take this five star. Yes, I think Virginia would take him if he wants to reclassify and come on. <laughs> yeah, that would be that would be fun. Mostly the just just to finish with Reese. Mostly with Reese, I just want to prove my theory that Tony Bennett is going to play him and Dante Harris on the floor at the same time. More than more than I think it will help UVA, I, this is something I've gotten into some people with on the board. It's like, I'm positive that they will play together, and I just want my theory confirmed, more right. than anything. So, so let's play that out. Let's say he does come
1: back. There is a 100% likelihood that they will start together. And both be on the floor for heavy minutes. See, I'm, I'm in your corner. Listen and, to that
0: board. And all you have to do. Is Why wouldn't they be?
1: Listen, like all you have to do is. Look you can't
0: at play both of them on the floor. They're both. They're both point guards. They that can't don't, shoot. They don't have good shooting. Okay. It's it, it when it, has that stopped us before from playing two non-shooting point guards?
2: Also, like
0: that's Tony's main thing. It
2: feels like a lot to say that Reese
0: can't shoot.
2: Maybe I'm off at I'm volume. Not. Uh, sure. Volume I mean, is the volume. volume shooter, sure.
0: Right, and so if neither of
1: your combo guards, let's say, let's say, let's play this out. They men returns. They start together. You have two combo guards on the floor, meaning they both can initiate. They both can play right. off. If both of them are low volume, mediocre to slightly above average three point shooting, if that's how it were to play out, it the worry is it creates spacing problems. That crowds minor. That crowds uh, done guys like that that are trying to play off the bounce. It allows you to hug McNeely. I understand all the concerns. And I do think Virginia's three-point... I said that earlier in the episode. It was too low. The volume Mm -hmm. was too low. So if you put two of your three-guard positions as low-volume shooters, your three-point volume is going to be low again. So I understand the concern. But all of that said, they would play together. There's no question about it. Like uh, Tony's doesn't start with shooting necessarily at the top of his checklist. Like message board posters and fans... Are wanting to because of what they've been watching the last couple years in terms of three-point shooting. So he's going to start with ball security, playmaking, things like that, even before defense to me. I think when he looks at his guards, yeah, they got to be competent defensively. But if you are a playmaker that takes care of the ball, who then can also shoot, you're going to play a lot of minutes at Virginia and you can look all the way through Bennett's tenure and you can check off the names that that's true about. It, it's literally all of them pretty much. So, yeah, they would play together, no question. And I think Virginia's at their best when they have three or more guys on the court who are 40-plus assist guys on the season. If you look at Virginia's best offensive teams under Bennett, they have to have at least three playmakers on the floor. It's why Vander played last year. Um, I think that more than anything is that he was an additional playmaker on the floor. It makes the whole thing theoretically work better. Yeah, so those two guys are both playmakers. So if they're both bad, they're both going to play. <laughs> I don't think there's any way around it.
0: I just don't think like we we tied for the ACC regular season championship with only one shooter this year. So like, why run it back? I don't know why we're changing the formula of now putting three, four shooters on the floor. Sure, let's just well, let's, let's put a bunch of people who you, can't you do, shoot. You do know why? I think yeah, why. I mean, I do, but you
1: do I, know why? It's it's there's a certain segment of the fan base and maybe even within one human there may be a split personality going on where it's like oh that's true love it we won the regular season. But you got to have shooters to win the title, and sure. I want 2019 again, right? So that there's got to be
2: that. Well, I was gonna that say like, that, fans, like the shooting, the spacing was a lot better then. That's a good right? shooter. <laughs> so like this is why I look at this and just yesterday, uh, CJ Frederick from Kentucky entered the portal. That feels like a great fit to me. He's a guy who didn't shoot super well last year at Kentucky, but was also coming off injury and stuff. When he was at Iowa, he was a killer shooter. I just feel like that's the kind of guy that like could fit. You know, he's he's a capable defender. He's not, like, the best in the world. Maybe he's too—maybe um, there's too much redundancy with a guy like McNeely, but—
1: Virginia can figure it out if there's not enough shooting. So I think that's kind of where I come from it at. They'll figure out how to stay in games, be competitive, probably be in the top half of the ACC, probably make the NCAA tournament. For sure. Right? All of that's, that's true to me. To raise the ceiling, they need more shooting. So if Beekman and, and Harris both come back, I think you do need— another shooter to mix in with McNeely so that how many combo minutes you play those two guys together and listen Harris shot it decently in high school with Curtis Staples so was Georgetown's percentages the leap to college the longer line was it, was that the biggest contributor? So it's going to be hard no matter where he plays. Or was the biggest contributor that George Hen ran crap offense? Oh, he was receiving elite coaching. Uh. I mean, I think that's a so lot. He was of it. Taking bad shots. He was
0: forced into taking a lot of bad shots. They played quick, and so I think. That, yeah. Spoiler alert: If you take bad shots, you don't shoot good percentages. Yeah. yeah. I, I'll I'll still sign up for Blue King. That's the one I'm
2: still crossing my fingers on. He's he's the guy I want.
0: They would definitely add shooting.
2: Well, none um, of this matters because. NC State has built a super team. You do have some good portal acquisitions with we're, NC State. I'm just saying. Winning the portal. Winning. Oh, god. Well, okay. I was <laughs> like, well, how,
0: far, how far is this prognostication going? Well, if
2: Jaden Bradley commits during the recording of this podcast, I'll say we're winning the championship. But What? The? Which the? Yeah, the. Like, like the, the national championship? Like the title. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Somebody, can you
1: check the... Internet and tell me the last time NC State won the championship. 1983.
2: It's been, <laughs> uh, it's been a minute. Yeah. When did we win? We have two. So How, what's the deepest heats teams have ever gone? Well, that's a good question. Not very far. Um, but I. This is different. I, this team is different. So you're saying? So and
1: this is great because this comes off the message board, right? If you have talent that's performing to seed expectations stuff, right. Looks a lot better when sure. you don't have talent. Maybe it does. Right. And
2: also just like I. I I have this fight all the time, and I think it's similar to the stuff about the Tony Bennett and, and Virginia and recent struggles early in the tournament. Like, who cares? Like, like past performance doesn't always dictate future performance. Like, it doesn't... They're different teams. Like, you've, you've got different players. There Things happen. The competition you're playing is different. I don't know. I, I And I also, like, I'm saying this, obviously, like, sort of jokingly, because... A lot of NC State fans have decided that we are now going. And it's this is the thing about the transfer portal. You're bringing in guys who, like, even with all the NIL stuff and the changes to transferring, they're still transferring for a reason. There's still something there of, like, so MJ Rice is the transfer that State fans are thrilled about because he was a five-star recruit coming out of high school, went to Kansas, struggled to get on the floor. So, yes, five-star recruit. That's amazing. Very exciting. Cool. He still struggled to get on the floor at a great program. Like, there's got to be something, right? Or,
1: the, the it's just amazing.
2: Once they enter the transfer portal, fans are just like, oh my God, yeah, all the flaws go away. It doesn't
1: matter when you're talking about recruiting high right. school all the way through the entire draft. Nobody looking at flaws. No, fair. But <laughs> I just mean, like,
2: transfer portal is unique in that we've seen these guys in college. So you've seen where they have struggled, or the like, we, or we talk ourselves into the guys at smaller programs where it's like, oh, well, that guy scored 24 points a game at this, like, Division three school in Ohio. Surely that means he's going to be elite. And, like, it happens. I think some of the best transfers are those guys. I love Jack Clark last year First State um, coming from LaSalle. But, like, a perfect example um, within the state transfers as well. Middlebrooks coming from Clemson. Everybody's like, oh, my God, this is huge. We got this, like, he's a game-changing big he averaged 3-2 and two last year. He's not... So, so the hope is the Kansas State version,
1: though. Sure. You, re- re- you retool your roster. You catch right. magic with the chemistry of the group. You have one really great player in terms of score that right. really lit it up for them in
2: the tournament, and you make a run. Right. That, that's that's the hope, right? And, like, and we did it last year to a lesser extent than they did, right? Yeah. And so you're hoping to, to tap into that more. And I think that, that Keats is uniquely equipped... To navigate transfer portal recruiting because of his background at Hargrave and I think having you know when you're a prep school coach you you have to retool your roster every year for and and I think that he is equipped for this and I think that there's a lot of schools that are changing their approach and it's just funny to like sit in April and see fans be like oh UVA definitely doesn't have enough shooting definitely doesn't have this or state definitely is going to be amazing because and it's like these guys haven't touched the floor for these schools yet. And like, people
0: are still transferring now. Right, they're still I'm saying. leaving the program. Damian right. Collins
2: is just like, Damian Collins and Jay Frederick from Kentucky just entered the portal yesterday. So there's guys coming still.
1: Yeah, open until May the eleventh, just to remind fans. Yeah. They can enter all the way up to May eleventh, which means you may not hear their names all the way up until maybe a week after that. Exactly. Because they're allowed to enter it all the way up and then you gotta work the paperwork. So. I love uh Levi
2: Watkins is an assistant at State, has been doing this on Twitter with all these fans freaking out early in April because you miss out, right? This is the thing. It's like, oh, this, this, we like Jaden Epps committed to Georgetown after visiting state, and he, and people were just like, oh my God, we missed on that recruit. And it's like, you don't know what you, he just chose a different school. It happens all the time, but they assume you're going to get a certain person. But then it's like, he kept tweeting out, he was like, remember, these guys, and I've talked about it on here before, all these guys from last year. Uh, Burns and Jarquel Joyner and Jack Clark and Mahortich—they committed late in April, early in May, and then so he's been tweeting out now, like now that we've picked up these like four transfers, like see, like look, just calm down, take a breath, and there's still room. So
1: the and I, and I talked to you guys about this recently. It feels like in the ACC, it's in conference a lot. Yeah. So you're talking about getting Middlebrooks, Cormac Ryan to Carolina.
2: And you know, Jack I'm Clark went to Clemson. So. Jack Clark.
0: Do you think that they, <laughs> like, do you think as they were like passing each other in the pur- portal that they looked at each other and were like, well, wait, why are you leaving? They, yeah. That's where I'm going. Where? Why are you leaving? Like right.
1: suspended animation? or something. Do you something, think they like, texted each
0: other to just sort of be like, yeah, <laughs> like, uh, hey? Uh, I, like it, Brooks, cool, right? <laughs> right, I like to think
2: that Clemson is still cool, right? Right. I like that Middlebrooks looked at Clark and was like, enjoy Brad Brownell and playing backgammon every day or something. <laughs> I just Assume that's what they do.
1: Not Virginia, at least. Showed interest according to social media in Lankford from Boston College. Mm-hmm. We don't know how much interest, who knows what interest means, but it's just interesting to me. And I don't follow the other conferences as closely, but it feels like it's constantly happening in the ACC where definitely more from school to school. Virginia women benefited from that, right? Since Sam Brunel from Notre Dame to Virginia. So it's not like Virginia doesn't do it themselves. It's just Well,
2: and, and outgoing too, right? That Justin McCoy and Casey Morsell... Aloha, Justin. So, hey, man, look, that guy. That's it. I mean... I don't understand why more athletes don't do that. Like, if it's not working out where you are... Just go to Hawaii. Just go to Hawaii. Be like, all right, cool. My school, my education's free. I still get to play the game I love, and I'm in Hawaii. And cancel all my return flights. Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely love it. I wanted to
0: run this analogy by you, because I was thinking about it since the portal conversation last week. And to be clear about this analogy, I don't have direct experience with this, so... You're going to have to just follow follow along, but I think I have the <laughs> gist of it right. So I think the transfer portal is like getting it out of a bad breakup mm. and going on to Tinder. Yeah. Right? So you're swiping You're swiping right. Yeah. Right is the good one, right? Right is the good one. Okay, so swiping right on a lot of people, but it doesn't help if you get disappointed, you talk to some people, and every single one, you know, like the, they end up ghosting you or, you know, it's just sure. not compatible or whatever. You can't just be frustrated every single one of these conversations be like, Oh my God, we didn't, we didn't get to go on a date with this person or, Oh, I thought this was going to work out and it didn't like, you know, if you, if you stay on there long enough, you find the people that you want to spend time with eventually, and uh, assumably it works out. I don't know. Again, I haven't been on Tinder. But... Not some people who've had some
2: success. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, having having been there before and having that experience, I, I yeah, you, it's I think it's a great analogy. So like, you, meet, you can be disappointed,
0: like, oh, that person, you know, I thought we had a lot in common. I would have been really cool. But if you just spend all of your time fixated on, this isn't going to work, I'm undateable, like, I'm never going to be in another relationship again. That's not going to be productive. And I feel like that's how a lot of fans approach the portal with every single person that doesn't pick, particularly with UVA. I see this, like, on the UVA boards all the time. They're like, oh my god, we're never going to get another person. Okay, this this analogy is not resonating with me because okay. I've been
1: married for 15 years and I think Tinder's... Tinder's an post. app. No, I know what people, Tinder oh, is. Okay. I, didn't, I didn't know if you needed that Less context. than 15 years old. Yeah. I was going to say, I think that it's come along since then, so the most I've seen of Tinder is like when late night shows, is it James Gordon, like does oh, like, do like, a, like a little do, bat they does. do like a live Tinder or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I do know what it is. But you know, there are different approaches to recruiting too, right? So there are some programs and coaches that to use your analogy are gonna swipe right on eighty five percent of the, the right <laughs> people. And there are others that are gonna be really selective with it. Virginia's on the selective end, right? They're gonna swipe left on most guys. And there are a lot of reasons for that. Right, like fit to the program, transfer credits at Virginia are a big thing. They can't take any transfer mm. because you have to stay on a track to graduate and have transferable credits that will keep you there um, on that track. Virginia won't let you stay for six or seven years or whatever. To so, if you've been somewhere for three and you need two more to graduate, and you're not on there are certain like scenarios where Virginia can't take you, so but they have is, to be
2: selected. That's a larger recruit. Like this is a tough. Recruiting challenge for a lot of other schools too that are more academically pretentious. I mean prestigious. I'm sorry, what? Uh, just just misspoke. Uh, <laughs> where like Wake Forest struggles with us too, right? Vanderbilt, uh, Stanford. Uh, not saying that. You know, I guess UVA is kind of. You nearly of made me spit out my Zima. <laughs> saying that to me. But I mean, like, yeah, this is an issue where it's you, you can't just I, and and I think Virginia being selective. You know, whether it's continuing the analogy or just the straight-up recruiting thing, right? We have a friend who who is on dating apps who I won't name for her benefit, but she's very selective. And it's this thing where it's, like, short-term, you might not feel like you're finding people all the time, but, like, there is eventually then you find the right fit. And that's, I think, UVA recruiting. If you're more selective, yeah, you're not just casting a wide net, bringing in, like, mercenary basketball players every year but you're ultimately trying to find people that fit your culture you think about guys like Jaden Gardner Armand Franklin like have multiple years with you right it's not just coming in and and being a contract killer for one year and I think that 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 can be important versus like the this is where I think it, it honestly works out great that we have state in Virginia because they do approach the these things just very differently. Right. Mm-hmm. State is getting one year guys to come fill the roster this year and then we'll figure out next year when next year comes. And like <laughs> a buddy of mine says that's a future problem, that's right? It's a future me yeah. problem. That's a future Coach Keats problem. Yeah. And and, and, <laughs> and like right now, you know, we look at just in the last year, it's working fine. There's gonna be misses though too. So you know, it's just different approaches and, and right now I would say like if you look over the last four or five years it's easy to to see that Virginia's approach. Look, like, there ain't nothing wrong with it. Like you're winning regular season conference championships. You're. We talked about this. I think last episode. You can't win a championship every year. You're just. You're just not going to do that. So sometimes there's a readjustment of expectations. And also it's April. We got to adjust the calendar a little bit now and understand that like rosters are not complete. They won't be complete. You just don't know. I mean, look at Virginia when they went even in the season. They went on that early run. Um, through like the Vegas tournament, and you looked at them, and it's like, oh, this team is going to be a Final Four team, right? And then over the year, you saw some things get exposed, and
1: well, Connecticut was awful, and well, awful results wise in right. January, right, right,
2: right. So you just don't know. Like, I, I just, I don't know. I, I think that that's what drives me crazy. It's like, it's fun to talk about. I, I love the portal. I love all the roster movement and stuff like that, and love to break down who's going where and get excited about stuff. But I'm also, I'm not going to be like. I will joke and say, yes, State's cutting down the nets, but I don't really think that I could in any way know that. Just like you could in no way know that they're not going to or know that UVA is going to or that it's going to be some, like, FAU is going to do it. I don't know. Fairly Dickinson, bring it on.
0: What do you think Tony's Tinder message would be
2: to recruits? I don't, I think he waits for them to message him. Oh, so like Bumble. He's like a Bumble guy. He's a Bumble guy. Okay. Tony's a Bumble guy. Interesting.
0: I, no, something like you know what level of candy crush are you on or something like that oh, something yeah. something innocuous and fun I, f- I feel like would be. Fun. no I
2: think he's got a really good like thoughtful conversation starter like something that really makes you here here's some mover
0: blocker here's where I see you in this yeah. how do you see it no
1: <laughs> no to, like we know from recruiting that Tony talks about a Talks a lot about basketball. Would you can improve on all that kind of stuff? I don't think that's ever where it starts. I think it all starts with, "Hey, like, how, tell me about your family. Tell me about yeah. your grades." Like,
0: I do want to. I want to move on to football, but I did want to ask this question from the board. Uh, this is posted by Purple Shadow, and he wants to know, Chris, how often do you meet with Tony Bennett to give him the board's input, and do you get it like a summary, or does he want like all the threads printed out so that he can see where everybody. <laughs> So meat is a very uh, open-ended term in
1: the modern world. So um, I text him seventeen times a day mm-hmm. with the great ideas that come up. Okay, and sure. he answers them once a year. So, <laughs> 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 so you gotta you gotta get those at the right time. I, get, I gotta get a better ratio of responses. I think. Mm. <laughs> To be clear, Tony Bennett doesn't give his text number to almost anyone, just for the record.
2: <laughs>
0: and I don't have it.
2: <laughs> Unless you match with him on Tinder. <laughs> yeah. Wait, hold on. I don't want to start a rumor. Tony Bennett, I don't think is Tony on Tony Bennett Tinder. seems <laughs> like the
0: person least of all coaches out there. I feel like he's in the top five. That, that would actually be a good segment. Coaches, to be on- coaches likely to be on Tinder. Eric Musselman. Oh, yeah. I don't even know <laughs> what his family situation is, but... From- doesn't matter. He's on Tinder. He's already got a his shirtless pick. Ready yeah. from the tournament, so I love that. Uh, uh, I never mind. I said this. On, I think I said. What this is it with episode. the SEC and the sh- shirtless coach thing? Like Bruce Pearl, does he get paid to be shirtless? Like I feel like he it just means more, man. <laughs> it means more with wearing less. That's, that that honestly could play. We'll make a t-shirt uh, out of it. Yeah. So I do want to talk about football. <laughs> just UVA, to take it off. <laughs> sorry. I want to talk about UVA football. Uh, they just had the spring game this past weekend. How was it? Who won? <laughs> the white team won. Oh. The
1: um, bl- the annual blue white scrimmage. It's brought to you by Pepsi during basketball season. I can't remember. That's probably bad. You gotta for make C- sure you got the
0: sponsorships right on. This. Probably
1: bad for CBS Sports properties, and I don't remember who the blue white
0: scrimmage for football was
1: presented mm. by. But you know, I I'm in the category of practice just doesn't tell you that much. Much less public practice. Much less watered down spring game practice so with, with that caveat I think the one thing we did learn is that quarterback is going to look different than it looked last year and obviously last year did not go well offensively for Virginia the transition from you know air raid type of principles to more zip, wide zone pro type of principles was a rocky transition you need more accuracy than Virginia got from Brennan Armstrong last year and it looks like Virginia is going to get more of that depending on how the starting quarterback deal shakes out. So Tony Musket was 11-14 of 14 in the spring game. He's probably not going to go 11-14 every single game, but he's reportedly been north of 70% all spring. Again, this is – it's spring. So if you look at his Monmouth numbers, he was in the mid-60s career percentage-wise. So I think you're going to get better accuracy if, if he's the starter. Uh, the freshman really kind of showed – some flair, uh, Anthony Colandria. You know, he showed some flair, and he showed some ability to be accurate with football as well. And then how does Jay Wolfuck mix into that when the fall gets here? Um, but we know he can certainly throw the ball well. So I think more accurate passing will help Virginia. I don't remember a drop in the spring game except the one in the end zone. In the second half, there was one that looked like it was caught, and it got knocked out at the last second, even after the receiver was all the way to the ground. But the real simple drops where <laughs> you're by yourself on the perimeter and – Virginia dropped, I think, 34 passes last year. That That's too think, many. <laughs> it's, it's a few too many. Um, <laughs> the pro football focus grade for receiving last year for Virginia was in the bottom 15 in the country, and a lot of it was influenced by the fact that they just dropped the ball a lot. So if you have more accuracy and less drops, that alone can make the offense better. And I think you saw hope of that in the spring game, so that was my biggest takeaway.
0: It's got to be Tony Muscat as the starting quarterback, right? That's my view from the outside. That it's him because Wolfick has these other obligations to baseball, and Calandria seems young and like he he enrolled early, so he's he like could be in high school right now. I, I don't think they've made up their mind yet, but they didn't bring in Tony Muscat to
1: not legitimately compete for the job. And Jay Wolfick is going to have some decisions to make coming out of baseball, right? So. You know, I I think he'll he'll come into camp and he'll be more focused on it and more prepared for it to to compete for it versus throwing 40 times in half the practices this spring. And Wolfuck did show some ability, you know, in his reserve appearances these last two years. So I, I just don't know. I don't know if it's definitely Tony Musket. If you're asked, if you were to say, hey, you got to put a prop bet on who you think is going to be starter game one, my prop bet would be on Tony Musket.
0: Yeah, I can't decide what I think, like, that the numbers all look good. It, it does worry me, in a way that it doesn't worry me about basketball, that somebody coming from a, a smaller conference or FCS, it does worry me a little bit from a quarterback perspective. Just, like, the the quality of opponents that UVA is going to play. Like, their opening week game is against Tennessee. So, bring going from Monmouth to playing against Tennessee and other ACC teams that worries me a little bit but it seems like that's the vibe just around the program that he's playing really really well you're not going to get the same kind of defensive pressure pass rush wise in
1: at at Monmouth that you could get from the Tennessee's of the world right like that that's a given and Virginia's offensive line is still a work in progress so some of it will depend just on that I think right how well does he translate maybe how well does the offensive line figure it out they're addressing that. We can talk about a little, uh, about the transfer portal addition there as well. But the thing I like about Musket from the spring game is that he delivered the ball in different ways. So the touchdown pass to J.R. Wilson was a rope. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was direct. It hit it right where it needed to hit. The corner uh, could not get to it, even though he was in pretty decent position coverage-wise. He threw a little kind of rollout one that he kind of lofted over an in-between defender. It was not a rope. It was more mm-hmm. of a touch path. Um, There were several kind of like sit-down ones. By sit-down, I mean those in the kind of seam area where like a tight end or whatever just kind of... He hit those with a little different delivery. So seeing different deliveries I thought was encouraging that it can translate um, up a level.
0: Do you think the offense will be better just with Brennan Armstrong and his cancerous approach to the offense? Like, just addition by subtraction. So I am a Brennan
1: Armstrong fan. Um, I don't think he was the sole problem last year, and I never would say that. Well, but at the, this point,
0: I feel like if we think that he is the sole problem, that'll that make me feel a lot better about the season. I'll be more excited about the season and and more uh, anti-NC State, which I think is good. It's a good place for us to be on this podcast. Sure, sure.
1: So the, the the question with Brennan Armstrong is his numbers were phenomenal That in terms of setting school records and all those kind of things. His record was average that's never your own fault it's it's a team there's two sides of the football right so the defense was bad one year the defense got better and then the offense was bad he certainly was a contributor to that can virginia produce a better record post brennan armstrong he did a lot of great stuff for the school he set school records he was a great interview he always faced the media you're not going to get me to say something bad about it it's just not going to happen but i do think virginia can get better results post brennan armstrong era And I think, you know, just in general, if you look at his career arc at Virginia, his high school career, his results have been in the mediocre range. You know, a little above 500 type of results. Again, it's not his fault. It's a team. So, yeah, I think Virginia can get better results. The question is, this year, what do those results look like? Virginia's not going 10-2. The question is, can you turn that knob, that dial, just a little bit from where three and seven last year, where they lost that crazy game that was double overtime, whatever it was with Miami, mm-hmm. it doesn't take much to go from three and seven to seven and five. So we'll see. I, I don't I don't know if that's possible or not. They're going to have to win an early game. Maryland JMU look pretty big on the big picture schedule because of that. So we'll, we'll just see how it all plays out. I'm just saying it's not that far to spin it um, if you're just a little bit better. Defensively, right? They ended up middle of the pack. Get a little bit better there. Get a little bit better offensively. Put yourself in the conversation in some of these fifty-fifty games, which is the ACC in a nutshell. Every game in the ACC, it feels like no one's that good. Yeah, certainly no one on Virginia's schedule is that good. They don't have Clemson on their schedule this year, so you know, what have
2: on their schedule. Yeah, uh, yeah. Brandon Armstrong. I he do... apparently circled it. I feel. I like... don't think he'll be starting by that game, but we'll figure. It out. sounds I think, like they stay slaying Morris. But they should. He looked better in the spring game. He, he's. I just feel like a He's better of a Come on,
0: he brought him there. He hands. He's not the him.
2: only coach there. He's Dave the offensive Dor- coach. That's fine, but Dave Doran runs his program, and Dave Doran is not somebody who uh, is unnecessarily like he's loyal to his players, even if they're new, and he understands loyalty. So, an eye, he understands that, but like. This program's in position to win games, and he's going to do the best thing for the team. And if that's MJ Morris, it's MJ Morris. And you have a very capable, proven veteran player backing him up in, in Brennan Armstrong.
0: And it's one year versus multiple years. Yeah, from from a program manager, or you standpoint.
2: split them early, right, and figure out. I think
0: I think splitting. I think. Brendan Armstrong will still be the quarterback for the UVA game, and I think he will throw for like seven thousand yards in that it's game. Possible. And he will be mediocre the rest of the year. That's my that's my actual prediction. And then MG Morris will eventually no, by mid October be. I think it will happen earlier than that.
1: He'll throw for seven thousand yeah. yards. It'll be a thirty-one twenty-eight game late. <laughs> and Robert and I will call a tackle eligible pass. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm and glad. And Brennan I'm... Armstrong won't even get a chance to win the game. Instead, it'll be a left tackle
0: trying to win the game. I'm glad <laughs> you said. that. I know too soon. Sorry. We no, are very athletic <laughs> linemen. We this this allows me to bring in another user question from CDC who who said if you had to bet your life, who would design the best tackle lateral? Would you choose Anai or Kitchings? Anai. Got to go with Doctor Bob on the on the lateral. So, but here's my thought on this. Like, we know that it's in his arsenal because he showed it, but it wasn't successful. Kitchings, I don't know. Like, you don't know what, it, it might be much better. I take you back to a better memory. Remember the Abilene Christian
1: game where they ran a huh. pass back in the end zone? How was that better? Dr. Anai. Dr. Bob Anai would come up that, with that. That
0: resulted in a safety?
1: I don't, know, how I don't care about, that, no, no, no. How was that better? No, no. I'm not talking about result. Better. Like, just better to watch, better entertainment, better... It's Dr. Anai. I can't wait for the first... Because you never know what's coming out of that. It's, it's I know that you guys
2: are both so excited. For the first time that I text you guys, and just be like, what the yeah, hell? Yeah, WTF was that play Yeah, off? Yeah, that, I mean, it'll happen. BYU right? fans warned Virginia on the message board. There and was are going to
1: be a few head scratchers, guys. There was a
2: recent interview with, with Doran about, like, how... Okay, we've seen eye in the past. He gets... He does some wacky stuff sometimes, and sometimes it's great. Like, sometimes he does something, and you're like, oh, that was awesome, right? We've all seen it, and don't act like no, it not right no. mm. But then there's things like that that you're just like, okay, man, just chill. And they basically ask Doran, like, how much of this are we going to see? And he's like, look, you don't bring in somebody like Robert and I without... You don't bring in a crazy person it, without getting yeah, some crazy. <laughs> exactly. So they're going to let him cook, and uh, I, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I mean... Whatever. I, it, Listen, the, the offense put up a lot of crazy numbers at Virginia. We were in some garbage. And some head We did some dumb shit last year, so, like, I... Fine. Let's just, if it's fun dumb shit, it's better than it's better than what Beck was doing. Good luck, Coastal. Have fun. <laughs>
0: I do want to ask, I've gotten a little bit of a different vibe from both uh, Tony Elliott and Des Kitchings talking about their team. Like, they both seem like... They've been open about mistakes from the previous year and kind of translating it to this year. Tony Elliott in particular is talking about that he seemed like he was very overzealous with what he thought he had and has changed his approach a little bit. Is that something that you've seen covering the team, like as the, the players uh, reference anything different about how this year feels compared to last year? The energy word has come up all spring, and I know you know
1: off season hope springs eternal for every program, so. You have to always take that grain of salt and remember that. But players repeatedly have brought up energy, buy-in, and that's the big one on offense. There was for, there was a disconnect. Rather than buy-in, let's say a disconnect. There was a disconnect last year between the new offense and the offensive players. And it feels like now there's less of a disconnect. The question is when it becomes more game-planning, and opponent specific, can they keep that connection going into the actual fall versus just the spring? We'll have to wait and see how that plays out. But there, there is a better mood around the program in terms of the on field football stuff uh, than there was last year when guys were kind of like lukewarm, right? Mm-hmm. You, you got that all the way last spring, the previous spring, you got that put the whole swimming pool analogy that Coach Elliott gave. You know, some guys have a toe in the water. Some guys are observing on the side. Some guys are easing in. Some guys dove right in. Right now, it sounds like everyone's in the pool, to go back to that analogy, and we'll just see how
2: that translates. I This is not... This is a legitimate question about fan expectations, and it's not meant to be critical. They're I, low. I'm, expectations are low. But they're not. Right? They, they are, but they're not in the sense that like you're a lot of fans that I have talked to in the area are like ready to give up on Tony Elliott after one season. Here's the thing: like in tw- in the last twenty seasons, I, I just double checked this. In the last twenty seasons, UVA has had a winning record in football seven times, but three of those were the first three years of that 20- twenty. The Chris Long like that era. Gotta bring back Al Groh. That was the yeah. problem. We so got Al like, Gro.
1: So so he's my, referencing the lost decade, is what I call that on on our site.
2: So, but it's just like. From an outsider's perspective, who's only been really paying attention to UVA for the last five years since I moved to Charlottesville, I, I guess I don't get it. Three and seven feels about right. Just, and that maybe that's mean, but like, to me, that's kind of like, if the expectation, if the hope this year is to... to You know, make up a couple of those inches and and get to a 500 season. Like, that feels like what I'm used to as, like, this is Virginia football. So why is there so much pressure on Tony Elliott after one year?
1: Fans are like moth to a flame when it comes to offense. Mm Mm-hmm. Everyone is is a magnet to offense. So like offense, shooting in basketball, literally you know. any sport. I'm to yeah. pick, pick one, right? Like, pick your sport earlier. Yeah, fans love offense. That's what they gravitate to. That's what they watch. That's what they frame everything around. Mm-hmm. It's the only thing that that produces entertainment and wins. Uh, I understand defense wins championships, but I want to be entertained, right? Th- right? That's the fan mindset, no matter what the sport is. The offense was a disaster. Mm-hmm. and it was an even bigger disaster when compared side to side to the numbers the year before. The record wasn't all that different, (laughs) right? Right? They were six and six the year before, (laughs) right? So it's not like they fell off a cliff results-wise, but when you look at offense side by side, it was a, uh, not a 180, it was a Three six with seven twenty. Like they spun, they spun out twice and ran into a yeah. ditch, and like right, just had a really bad offensive year production wise. So, given that fans are gravitating to offense, they look at that and here's a guy who was supposed to be an offensive wizard because his offense was so good at Clemson, and they go, "Wow, the one thing he's supposed to be good at was bad," mm. and so they automatically assume that means future results are all going to be bad. And I don't think Tony Elliott was hired specifically as an offensive wizard. Mm -hmm. I think he was hired as someone who looked like a good program manager. I think his first year was rocky. I think he would say that as well in terms of he was a little overzealous is the word that you referenced. So the way he described it, he was like, I showed up and I was like, come on, everybody, let's go. (laughs) And he just expected everybody to go. Um, And you got to create trust and belief and all of that, which just didn't. There was a disconnect, so we'll see. Well, but it, the, to answer your question, it's because the offense was bad. He's supposed to be an offensive guy. Right. Clearly, this is not going to work. That's the that's the mindset of the fan.
2: Contextualizing, what what was the what was the response to like Bronco Mendenhall's first year was 2 intent offense and defense both statistically seemed to be pretty awful. Like, what was the was it different? Did, did that like I don't know. I wasn't really paying attention at that time as much to like the fan base. Different patients, you mean? Yeah. So so a couple things there. One,
1: Bronco came in as a proven winner. Uh-huh. So a little Fair. a little more rope in terms of what people were willing to accept. But also, he came in on the back end of what I just referenced, the lost decade. Meaning yeah. Virginia had already had a 2-10 season recently. Mike London had one, too, in 2013. <laughs> yeah, so different than inheriting. I think that's the other thing that plays into this. Virginia had been... Average successful under Mendenhall Mm -hmm. and above average successful in 2019 with winning the Coastal for the first time ever and making the Orange Bowl. So, the pandemic seemed to to spin Broncos program downward to back to kind of a mediocre level. But that's kind of where it was in after the two and ten year, the couple back to back, what six and seven and then eight and five, I think it was before the Orange Bowl year. So, but because Tony Elliott inherited a at least moderately successful program with a really shiny looking offense, and then was below mediocre results wise with a really not shiny offense. Right, right. Um, I think spooked fans, and fans are are mercurial. They're, they're going to ride that roller coaster, baby. <laughs> like, and that's part of the fun, right?
0: Well, it's like like you said coming into last year. If you had told me that UVA wouldn't be successful, I would have said it's because their defense is terrible because it had been terrible the previous years. And it wasn't their offense, and they had Armstrong back and Dontavian Wicks and all these cool pieces that were throwing the ball all over the field. And their defense actually made significant growth, played really well, comparatively to how they had played in the past two seasons. Their offense was a disaster. So that was just, like, a a huge disconnect for what you expected to see from the team. But, like, that—I also think their defense is probably one of the— I don't know how you see this, but their defense and their growth from year one to year two— is, like, what I think is the most exciting thing about the team. Yeah, no, if if it follows Rodzinski's trajectory
1: at Air Force, which his first year as coordinator showed improvement, and then they became a really consistent, you know, top-ranked top, top ranked defense nationally over the following three years after that. So if it follows that, then that'll be very good for Virginia. The, the pieces look good. The spring game looked pretty good defensively. You know, they... The, the style has been don't break kind of vibe, right? They're going to make some havoc plays, some turnovers, some sacks, things like that. But in general, they're going to contain, keep the game within reach, make you kick field goals, that sort of thing. And they did accomplish that in the spring game. The problem with spring game, right, is that that means the offense didn't finish off drive. So you know, we'll just have to see how that play plays out. But if they can strike that balance, what they're trying to get vision-wise, a run-first offense that can control tempo when it wants to, can make some big plays a defense that contains and controls, then you put yourself in games and then can you win them, right? And I think that that's the short-term vision. The long-term vision is then you get better at those things and and make yourself a contender. And we'll just have to see if Tony Elliott can do that with recruiting, transfer portal, uh, new building coming, all those sort of things. Mm -hmm. And that's to be determined, yeah. I mean, he has one year as a head coach. It didn't produce well enough. It's fair for fans to
0: be skeptical. I think it'll be a... Like, honestly, right now is a very important time for him getting people in the transfer portal. Like, to fill those gaps, they've already picked up somebody from the offensive line that's clearly a point of their emphasis, and I think they probably need a couple pieces on defense as well, uh, just with injury concerns. So during the offseason, I've added
1: three offensive linemen from the portal. One's already here from Houston. Ugana Nana, (laughs) I think I said it right, um, played left guard in the spring game, looks the part. Brian Stevens is coming in from Dayton. He was the top-graded FCS offensive lineman by Pro Football Focus last year. Um, he's a guard center type. We'll see how he mixes into the competition. And then the big one that fans are excited about is uh, Jimmy Christ has committed from Penn State. Now, he was an original Virginia commit under the old staff, decommitted, flipped to Penn State, and is now coming back under the new staff. So his older brother played here. His other older brother played at Virginia Tech. <laughs> But he definitely looks the part—six, whatever, 315 six, ish three-fifteen-ish—in um, terms of his measurables, and at a position of need, tackle. So that's a good move in the portal, from what I can tell, um, and really two seasons in a row. They did this last year on defense. Cam Butler, some of those fill-ins on the defensive side were good pickups last year. So they are using the portal effectively to fill in some gaps. They do need, I think, more secondary, so prep corner in particular. Keep an eye on Green from Clemson. His Younger brother is an incoming freshman. He's transferring out of Clemson where Tony Elliott was before. They need position of need, playing time's up, up for grabs there. So that that seems like a logical jump if if everything works out there. Tavon Kyle came in from Iowa State, um, who looks like a, probably the starter at, at least one corner spot. So they are filling in correctly via the portal. Can it all mesh? Can it all mesh to be a, an effective season? And I think if, if they're just effective and a little bit better, fans will at least be a little more patient and, okay, let's see year three. If yeah. it's a disaster again, I don't know if you can pull it out of that tailspin without a major year three versus incremental growth. It, right. It'll be interesting to kind of follow fan interest because we keep using the word disconnect. Like, and there's a little bit of that going on. Fans don't know how to react to the Virginia football program right now between the offense issues, the the, the defense deal, the the new building, the schedule. You're playing Tennessee why are you're doing that, right? Like, um, and then obviously the tragedy. So there's a lot of things there that fans are having trouble connecting to yeah.
0: uh, with the program. Is there anything you want to plug? Since while we wrap up here, is there anything you want to plug with the Saber, other than this fine podcast, where you could reach us at at PWO Pod on Instagram or Twitter, mm-hmm. anywhere that podcasts are delivered. So so we're continuing
1: to work with Hook Sports Marketing on some name, image, and likeness stuff with some athletes. We're still trying to set up some stuff for the coming weeks and months. The scouting report wise, I am going to pull some, which we referenced in the first segment here, roadie and minor film, so I can show you what I mean when I say, oh, here's where minor looks like he does stuff that Virginia does, and pull some of that. So that'll be coming in the next couple weeks as well.
0: Cool. Exciting. Well, thanks for joining. And uh, now we got to go pack up and coach some basketball down in NC State country. We're in
2: Raleigh. That's right. That's right. Gonna if we uh if we get any recruiting information during this NCAA live weekend, we'll report it here first. That's right.
0: If we maybe if we get one of those bags of money, you know.
2: Yeah, I've been looking for those at the convention center. When does having... that
0: happen as an AAU? Coach? Don't when know. do I get when do I get a big sign? When do I just show up
2: with that big old bag with the dollar sign on yeah, it? Yeah. That hasn't happened yet. Nah, I think that's like a. I think it's like a Saturday or something. You picture thing. it as a big bag with a dollar sign on it. Yeah, yeah um, I do and it's like you guys. Are like the guy Scrooge has McDuck. a the guy yeah. has a monocle and is like. You guys
1: picture Scrooge McDuck. I always picture yeah. dive into um, a big. Pit I picture of Pulp Gold. Fiction. Oh, the, the glowing oh, briefcase. Okay,
2: that mm. too. Or or the alternative <laughs> is it's like so I picture Scrooge McDuck with some programs, but programs like Miami, I picture that guy who's like selling Rolexes out of his like trench coat. <laughs> But he opens. Hey, hey it, big guy, look at eight, this. Hey, come over here. You want a scholarship? It opens up and it's just... Uh, that's Darkwing
1: Duck, right? Isn't? Wasn't that a thing? Darkwing Duck? That, that was I I don't think that's one. what Darkwing Duck does, though. No, but, but, like... <laughs> he's, a, he's a big Miami <laughs> He guy. was like a superhero, wasn't <laughs> no, he? No, I know, but yeah, I'm saying, like, fair, the darkest there is. Yeah, like, fair,
2: fair.